Growing up in southwest Michigan, I remember as a child, a lot of our field trips were to various manufacturing facilities, many of which no longer exist. Uh, but one that really stands out in my mind was a trip to the Kellogg's factory, where we got to see where our favorite breakfast cereals were made, and even were each given a box to take home, which naturally was opened and tossed all around on the bus on the way back and never actually made it to our house. But because of this, I'm, I'm a little bit aware of the history of that whole um, endeavor. And one of the original products that they first put out back in the late 19th century was called Elijah's Manna. And this was the precursor to cornflakes. And it caused quite a stir because uh, a lot of people didn't like the name and quite a few concerned ministers wrote to the company and said that it really was an inappropriate name for a commercial product. And so they took it off and that's how you've got cornflakes to this day. And I think of that when I read the story from Exodus about this, the description of manna as this fine, flaky substance, fine as frost on the ground. There's been a lot of uh, imagery in our readings in the last few weeks around feeding and food. Um, our psalms as well. The psalm last week had several stanzas that we used every single time we had a meal together at the general seminary, and we would sing it together in the, uh, in the refectory before our meals. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hands and fillest all things living with plenteousness. So we've got the ancient Israelites on the, first, on the one side of this coin today, wandering through the wilderness, literally physically starving, complaining to Moses that they were much better off as slaves in Egypt. At least there they had roofs over their heads and something to eat to fill their bellies. And so the Lord heard their complaint, and as we know, at, as the story unfolds, that quails filled the camps and the manna fell from heaven. This manna, which is some mysterious substance that never was before and never has been since. Although it is said to be one of the uh, things, one of the items that is, was contained in the Ark of the Covenant, that some of it was saved as a testimony and as a memory of that time in the wilderness. And what we don't get today, though, in this particular reading of Exodus is part of the story in which God, God does test the people. He says, I will provide for you. I will give you all that you need. Take only what you need. So what do they do? They run out and grab as much as they possibly can and fill the containers and the buckets and the pots and everything they can because they were hungry. I mean, they're human beings, and I'm sure that you or I facing the same sort of situation might have the same response. Having gone through a time of great discomfort and pain because of the hunger, you wouldn't want to experience that again naturally. So they, they hoard up more than they needed, and what happens to the food? It rots. It immediately rots to show them that... God will provide enough each day for them. And to trust in God really was the, the lesson there. And so these 
People, as we know, wander for 40 years in the wilderness and eventually get to the promised land, though not all. Uh, Moses never makes it into the promised land. And once they are there, that land flowing with milk and honey, the falling of the manna at night ceases forever. But that foreshadows something, doesn't it, for us through the eyes of the new covenant. It foreshadows the coming of Christ and Christ's giving of himself, his one oblation of himself once offered on the cross, the bread of life, opening to us the gates of heaven. And so, if you fast forward to the gospel reading today, you find sort of the the epilogue of the feeding of the 5,000, which was our gospel reading last week, where Jesus and his disciples have a huge crowd to feed, and the miracle is that he takes a few loaves of bread and a couple fish and somehow manages not only to feed all these people, but to have 12 baskets left over. The people were naturally very impressed by this, and so when they realized that Jesus and his disciples had left the area, they went looking for them. They wanted to see this again. And when they found him, he said, you're not looking for me because of what you, the signs you saw, but just because you ate your fill of the loaves. And here, mirroring the Old Testament, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And they ask him, well, what do we have to do to get this bread? And he says, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Well, what signs are you going to do to show us? Mind you, they had just seen him feed 5,000 people with a couple loaves of bread and fish. And here they're asking him again to show some signs so that they can believe. We're going to talk about hard-hearted people. But he says, you don't understand. The manna that fell from heaven, God gave that to your ancestors so that they could live. But what God is giving you now is something completely different. God is giving you the bread from heaven, the bread which comes down and gives life to the world. And naturally, they're interested. It's sort of like the woman at the well, the story of thirsting no more. But here we have the imagery of food. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Probably a bewildering statement to hear after you've just experienced the multiplication of actual bread and actual fishes to feed your actual stomach, to hear him in a more esoteric way say, I am bread, I have come down from heaven, I am the way to eternal life. Well, clearly he's a human God in human flesh. He wasn't bread, he couldn't be eaten. So what does he mean by that? So you, so you see here we've got the two sides of this coin. We've got the side of the coin that talks about actual feeding 
physical feeding. And that's something we shouldn't lose sight of because though we want to focus today on the other side of the coin, the spiritual feeding, we nevertheless have to bear in mind that Jesus encourages us to share what we have with others and to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and help the sick and visit those in prison. Because when we do what we do to the least of his brothers and sisters, we do to him. And I don't need to tell you that we do have a very robust feeding ministry, not just in this church, but also in our community where so many are, have food security issues. But what Jesus is offering is something different, not a physical substance per se, but a spiritual filling. He, the bread of life, was broken for us on the cross. His body was broken, whipped and nailed and speared, and he died and was buried and was raised again. And so what he gives for us, think to, good, to Monday Thursday when he has the Last Supper with his disciples, he gives us this sacrament. He says to them, this is my body, this is my blood, do this in remembrance of me until I come. And so in this way, we have something, we do have a substance, two substances, bread, well, three really, bread, wine, and water that go into the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. And church, sometimes people are saying the church should be more countercultural. Well, I would say these days just going to church is countercultural for one thing. But the, if you look at what we do, I don't mean what we do, our ministries that we do during the week, which are very important. But if you look at what we do, what, what our focus is on Sunday, the way our buildings are built so that when you walk in, you, are, you visually make a pilgrimage from the back of the church where the waters of baptism are to the altar of Christ where his body is broken, his blood is laid out as the bread of heaven, the bread of angels, that which gives eternal life. And so in constantly giving this bread, constantly giving the cup, week after week, year after year, constantly breaking, constantly sharing, we do something that is countercultural, isn't it? Because in the view of the world, and remember back to the ancient Israelites, what we do, what our instinct is, is to hoard and to keep away from others, to keep for ourselves, to build up our own stockpiles, our own riches. But this simple action with these two simple substances, bread and wine, break through that. God created the world in beauty and purity and through human sin, the world is broken. Through human sin, we have suffering. But what happens is that Jesus Christ breaks into that world. And he redeems it. Now, evil is a, is a thing that is present and will be present until the end. But what we have is the light of Jesus Christ in the simplest things 
such as our sacraments, such as the actions that we take during the week, wherein we let that light break into the world more and more. You see, when he's teaching these people, I, I, I want to th- believe that the, the initial miracle of the multiplication of the loaves was sort of the hook. You know, you can always get people interested by offering a free meal, can't you? Uh, come to this or that event, uh, food will be served. You know people will show up. So they had a nice meal. All right, they're interested now. And then they come back again wanting more of this physical food, but what he does is he begins to open up the door of heaven just a crack and to explain just a little. And this is a theme throughout the life of Christ that, that I think if he had come in great fanfare as a, a conquering king or a, a god on earth, that the message might be, not be uh, experienced might not be grasped. It might have been too much all at once. And so he comes as a baby born in a stable. And the first things to see him besides his parents are animals and then shepherds and then foreigners. And you can see how God is opening the door wider and wider and wider to more and more people. Yes, he came for his ancient chosen people, but he came also for all. And so... This bread of heaven, this imagery of bread and food and sustenance and being filled isn't something that we should look at as, uh, as something to be you know, gobbled up and, and held in our bellies, you know, held inside us. Because we don't, we can't hoard and stockpile God's love because it just overflows from us. We can't help it. It can't help it. And so what happens when we are filled with this bread, this bread of life, which gives life to the world? Well, then the gifts of the Spirit are nourished, and then we begin to manifest those gifts. Some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. That's what it's all about. That's why we come here. So we are fed, our spirits are nourished, our bodies are nourished, so that we can grow and mature in Christ to equip the saints, to equip one another for the work of Christ, which is building up his body, the church, until we all come to the full stature of Christ. So, as you think about the scriptures during the week, which I I hope you do, I hope you can sometimes take your service paper home and and look at the scriptures throughout the week and think about them. Think about the, on the one side, the ancient Israelites who were physically starving in the woods, in the wilderness, and how God provided for them. And so, how we as God's hands and feet ought to, be, ought to help and provide for those who are hungry now. But think about the other side of the coin, that Jesus being the bread of life, which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, is something which all of us partake of who are here, and which all of us are called to use as that fuel to help us grow 
and mature ever more and more until we become the body of Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.